Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. In this episode, I am embarking on quite a long thought process I've had around how are men really doing in this journey of becoming a father? There is, of course, so much focus in the work that I do on women. And that is where my passion has started and is continuing to thrive. But there is no doubt that over the years, I have noticed that there seemed to be a gap Uh, quite a black hole when it comes to the support that men are receiving in that experience of seeing their partner go through pregnancy, experiencing birth, and of course, the postpartum and fatherhood. So over the years, I've been wanting to speak to fathers to hear what their experiences are, what have worked for them, what didn't work for them, what were the challenges and what was the joys. And This episode is going to be the first, I hope, of many to explore this concept of men's health when it comes to pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum. So I am excited to share this episode with you where I am speaking with Tony Toe, who is a friend. He's also a doula client. I have supported him and his family through two births and his wonderful wife, Yes, OC is featured on the podcast a few episodes back about meditation and motherhood. So you can, you can go back and listen to that. Tony is a devoted and dedicated husband and father of two. Tony is a professional executive coach, facilitator, and leadership expert. He has created Man Tribe, which you can find online, which is Man Tribe. .com.au, a four-month facilitated group journey uh, for men. And he's also embarking on creating a dad tribe, which you will hear about in the conversation we had together. At this stage in November 2022, dad tribe is not up and running yet. But if you're listening in 2023 or onwards, I would definitely go on to mantribe.com.au and uh, reach out to Tony and learn more about Dad Tribe. And if you are looking to get support and explore fatherhood on a deeper level, then that is definitely the place to go. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I know that I did. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. This has been actually years in the making <laughs> on my end. I've been wanting to... Um, to speak to fathers about this experience that men go through as they become fathers. And so I'm actually really, really honored that you're the one to start this conversation with me. So thank you, Tony, for coming. It's such a pleasure, AM. And it's, as you say that, I've been thinking how, how cool would it be to have like a, this is one voice of a father, but how cool would it be to have like a number of fathers that have had different experiences to, yeah, to, to provide kind of some normalization around what fathers go through. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that was, I don't know if you remember, but initially my thought was to interview lots of different fathers um, and hear their journeys and experiences. But that became a very big um, 
project. And so I think this might be the first of many one-to-one interviews, um, hopefully. I think we need to, I feel the need to bring much more awareness to how men experience the journey of pregnancy, which is not happening within their body, but seeing their partner go through pregnancy for nine, 10 months, birth and the postpartum. And as I was doing the research for our conversation, um, I was this need was really backed up by the research because I realized that there is not a questionnaire or a way to check in with men. It is not here. It's not invented yet. Yeah. And that is kind of shocking, I think, that um, we don't have a way of actually knowing what is the criteria for postpartum depression in fathers. I mean, that's not good. So anyway, here we are. I feel you so, I feel you so big time. And um, I think like, as, as you were talking, something that emerged for me is I, um, I don't think that, you know, it's not like you can turn to your, most men can turn to their own father and be like, so like, let, 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 like provide some counsel on, there's such a generational difference in the way that fathers these days are balancing you know, being involved to support through pregnancy, being involved in birth, often dads, one generation up, weren't even in the birth room. Um, And then the postpartum in terms of managing work and the balance of life, like all of that stuff is different. So the initiation looks so different. And and so that kind of, it's not, as you're talking, I was thinking of my own dad and it's like, I I love him, but it's just, I, I I can't really talk to him because he doesn't, he hasn't, he's had a totally different experience of being a father. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's this generation uh, of men is doing it on their own for the first yeah. time in yeah. the birth space. And mm. I mean, that's so significant, so significant that um, exactly what you say that where does, where do a man, a man turn to, to say, what am I going to expect? Like, what's going to happen? What What does it look like? What do, you know, all of this. But before we go there, because this is, um, I know we're both very passionate about this. I wanted just to say, um, well, get to know a little bit more about you for the listeners and who you are, Tony. And uh, I mean, I've invited you on here because I have been your doula for the two, two births of your very sweet children. And I'm very honored to call you and your family my friend mm-hmm. and friends of mine now. So, um, and we've talked about these, of course, your birth experiences and so many rabbit holes of this experience that we all go through in parenthood. We've talked about for hours together. And that's why I thought it would be so juicy to have you on. But tell the listen- listeners a little bit more about you so that they get a little insight into who you yeah. are. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's always, I always, um, whenever people ask that question, it's like, how will I define myself today in this moment? <laughs> so I'm, maybe I'm, I, maybe my dad's stats. So I've got, as you said, I've got two, two kids, a uh, four-year-old and a four-month-old. Um, and um, beautiful partner, Jess, Jess Ozy. Um, and um, I'm a facilitator and coach for a living. I work for a consulting firm and then um, probably, probably my, my really passionate work is the work I do outside of that with men. So um, have observed in my own life as I've got older um, and in so many of the lives of men around me, how we've become more remote, like male friendships have become more remote. And so um, that's probably, you know, that, that's the work that um, kind of keeps the fire in the belly for me going um, to bring groups of men together and to do some deep work with them. 
in a way that probably is not generally supported by our culture. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and just on that, what what is the what's the outcome when you uh, when you facil- facilitate these groups in terms of bringing men back together? Like what what transformation happens within them? I know this we we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but what are you experiencing as this journey as you're bringing them back in together? What do you experience on the other side of it in yeah, these men's kind of, groups? It's kind of amazing. Like it's it's um it's almost. So, so, so there's the the impetus for it was a great experiment to say, well, what what would happen if we brought men together in a way that was radically psychologically safe, um, where the barriers to having regular communication around things that are real, like going beyond pub talk, going beyond all of the the kind of general kind of oh yeah, but it's all good kind of dialogue, um, to actually have the real conversations around challenges around intimacy. Um, we had a group of men here. I'm thinking I've uh, short-term memory loss because I've been a parent for the first time. So I can remember about the last 24 hours. <laughs> I had a group. I worked with a current group, and we sat around the fire about five meters from where I am right now, um, and we talked about sexuality. And um, men got to air some of the shame they hold and the grief they hold and the challenges around their sexuality, and it's so shared. So um, I think I guess the transformation is is sometimes men will take on new things and. But it's actually more just the sense of um, peacefulness in the world with that actually it's really normal. Um, like all of the stuff that we experience in isolation is really normal. Um, to me, that's a, that's a great psychological achievement, just that. Like it's, it doesn't um, – because the orientation for men is often to fix things and that happens in the groups as well where men are like, oh, have you done this and do this? And, and that's great. You know, that's also part of it. But I think that, the, you know, if you say what, what is it, it's, um, it's being more at ease in the world with uh, – with where they are on, on all fronts, you know, their sense of purpose, whether they're married or they have kids or they haven't parented well, like just to know that all of that stuff is just it's actually normal and they're not the only ones, even though it feels like it because they're not communing with others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's all it takes. We just don't want to be alone. We want to mm-hmm. just meet each other, don't we? That's beautiful to hear. Um, should we dive in and do you yeah. want to share as much or as little about your birth experiences. Um, and I think with the intention of this podcast, I suppose is of course for men and women, but I would love it to be a reference point or something that other new fathers, uh, fathers-to-be could tune in and listen to this and sort of just get some of those ideas and thoughts and conversations that they're not perhaps able to have anywhere else. So mm-hmm. with that perspective, do you want to share a little bit about the experiences you had around, well, I'm really interested to hear about the experience as, uh, you know, watching your partner transform during pregnancy mm. um, and, of course, the birth, and we'll dive into the postpartum later on in the, in the yeah. questions. But yeah. if you, yeah, you want to touch a little bit on that, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah de- definitely. And, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll preface it by saying um, I'm going to be really honest with your listeners in saying that um, so Anna Maria, as a dear friend of our families, uh, knows generally uh, will know what's going on within our family pretty quickly because of her friendship with Jess. And, um, and we've been like properly kind of going through the initiation of the second birth. Um, and so she very generously messaged me yesterday saying, I know you guys have just been going through so much. Do you still want to do the podcast? Um, and so um, and, and we agreed that it would be actually a perfect time to do the podcast. But the reason, the reason I say that is because 
um, I, I want um, people to know that it's from that vantage point um, that, that this conversation is happening. If it was happening six months ago, I'd be doing it from the vantage point of like, oh, we've had a child and we've gone through the initiation of the first child and we've kind of integrated. So I feel like we're not fully integrated in our second initiation. So um, <laughs> take all of, all, of, all of what you hear in that context. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, so um, I guess, yeah, maybe just a little bit and, and like feel free to pry and we can go um, – we can go wherever we need to go um, in terms of the births. So very, um, very different experiences. I guess the first thing I'd say on pregnancy, and this probably carries true for the whole experience I've had of this journey of becoming a father and through pregnancy and birth, is that the initiation for me didn't really happen during pregnancy. Like it did. Like I didn't. I didn't feel big change. It was like just watching Jess's belly become more distended didn't like didn't change anything internally for me um and I wanted to invoke like I, I, I value rite of passage I wanted to like be step but it didn't like I didn't feel that um and even the birth which was extraordinary we can talk to it I didn't feel like in that moment transformed um so I think like I guess that that like I, I I'm really aware that the journey that men and women go through at least the journey that I went through and Jess went through with different phases into the initiation where Jess was initi being initiated the whole way through. And for me, it was kind of like, it was very delayed. Um, so I just wanted to share that. But um, so two very different births, our two births. Um, the first birth um, was a hospital birth. Uh, and uh, that came with um, the comfort of knowing that we had a whole medical system behind us and it also came with the grief of having to navigate that system um, and um, and so that first birth had a lot more interference and was a lot less less peaceful um, having reflected on the second one as well our second birth was home birth um, so we had um, you know two private midwives and you as, as we had for the first one um, and it was a lot more peaceful the whole way through the process the lead up to it and the actual birth itself um, yeah, so I think that that's probably like I, I think that's probably my the, the the starting point was there were very different experiences, um, and in the first one, um, I remember feeling this tension with you of like where is the edge of where I should be asking questions versus just letting the hospital system and protocol unfold in the way that it's supposed to, um, and just trust that that's what's meant to happen. Um, versus this feeling of um, sort of background as well. So I work as a facilitator often in New South Wales Health, so I know a lot about the, the health system and protocol and um, the kind of the fear around litigation that goes on. And so I was really aware of that going into kind of the experiences. And, um, and I think uh, that kind of also maybe is a factor in the process of kind of like being, well, where is it you just surrender versus where do you actually need to ask questions? So I, I felt like it was it was trying to navigate. I was trying, felt like the first one was trying to navigate that environment, um, whereas the second one wasn't. Um, the second was far more logistically challenging because we had Indy. So it was like, where where are we gonna where are we gonna when is it going to happen and how are we going to, if it happens at this time of day, where are we going to be and who do we speak to and who will be our birth support? You know. Um, uh, and all, all of that kind of thing. Um, and I guess the final, like, I, um, this is this is my kind of rambling stream of consciousness, 
the, fi- the final thing I think um, that was very different in my experience of the, of the two births was um, the first one, so it's so overwhelming. Like the experience is so overwhelming of like of, of experiencing a person in labor. I just had this, as I'm sharing with you, I had this memory of the first birth. Um, so um, I just remember being in hospital at one of our midwifery visits. And um, I think we'd done like some little birthing thing at the hospital, which was not great. It's like an education thing. And uh, or maybe it was on lactation or something like that. And um, Jess went to the bathroom. We were downstairs at the Royal in Randwick, the women's hospital. And, um, and a woman who is, I now know, in active labour, um, but I hadn't done any birth education at that point, she walks in like half-dressed and then like has a contraction in the hospital waiting room. And she, like Jess isn't there. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank God she's not here. Um, and it was like absolutely terrifying. I was like, what the hell? She like, walks in, has a contraction, walks off. I'm like, what was that? <laughs> what the hell was that? That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I think even with the birth education, which and we can talk to that, it was amazing. Um, the first birth, I felt a really, like I felt so overwhelmed and out of control and my impulse was to want to like just feel like I could somehow be in control um, in the scenario. So I just remember like having my phone and being like, it's like timing contractions, like with the app, like just like, and eventually just like in the middle of the throes of pre-labor, was like, can you put your phone down? <laughs> just, and I couldn't really, I just could I, I felt like I needed to know when was the transition point because we needed to go off. Like, and that's part of the first birth as well. Like, when is she in active labor? Three contractions in 10 minutes. Like, was that that three and ten? I don't know. Like, but then one of them was five minutes, the other one was two. And like, um, and I, and I just remember that feeling of like, um, overwhelm and maybe not trusting the process enough of, of, of the unfolding labor. Um, and then the second one, not needing to do that, which was really, um, really nice. Yeah. Really nice not to like to, um, to feel like I had to be managing the, like, like because it's, it's like you know, here's an image that comes to mind. Um, it's like it's like birth is like a wild ocean, and and my experience, at least as a man in that context, is like a rubber duck, like kind of bobbing around. <laughs> and I'm like timing contractions, and the first one rubber duck being thrown around, and I'm trying to like timing contractions. I love that analogy. That's going to stay with me for a long time. The rubber duck. And yeah. I really, I really, um, you know, I can feel that, and it, it well, it resonates with me as a, I guess, as a um, support person in birth, and that you know the role of the of the partner, which you know I tend to get very detailed updates on when and where the contractions are because it's very true. It's sort of what are the tools for the man, where you know your partner is changing in front of your eyes, making sounds, doing movements that you probably didn't expect or may not have seen before. And uh, sort of, I want to use the word scrambling to find a way to either fix or help or do something. But there the phone is and the timer is a great tool. <laughs> and so I know you're not alone on that one. <laughs> something to hold on to, you know? It's like, yeah. can't, I can't possibly control this what's going on but I can I can find these gaps between contractions I can definitely do that yeah um, 
Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it's. Um, I actually, I um, I have this memory of in our second birth, um, of looking around our birth room. We're in our bedroom, and seeing, um, you like the most active, physically supporting guest, which is the touch that she wanted was a feminine, knowing touch. And I'm I'm convinced that there is like literally like hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of years of body. Um, knowledge of women supporting women in birth. So it's kind of, it's like there is a sympathetic vibration of having a woman's touch in birth that um, I just have not, either just have not been able to provide or um, or, or I'm not meant to be providing. Mm. Um, but I remember having a moment where you were, you were, you were fit, like she was in the birth pool and you were physically um, providing kind of like that counter pressure to her. And Jess and I just, I had probably half an hour where it was just like, wow, like this is happening, like this is happening. And, and now I know what's on the other side. So it's not like, mm. it's not like um, an initiation where it's like, you don't know. It's like, wow, there's a whole universe that's about to explode. And there, there was, um, there, there was something amazing about that half hour. I'm very grateful to have had the, the, moment, the moment in that second birth to be able to pause and be like, actually, I remember tearing up a few times being like, wow, this is happening. Like, this is, this is amazing. Mm. Um, I heard on a podcast someone said, um, you know, um, you know, the average human who's like doing extreme exercise, it's like the intensity is like a four or five out of ten. And um, like an Olympian, if they were like going through like their absolute height of pinnacle extreme sport would be like like a six. And then a birthing woman is like a ten, a full-blown ten out of ten. And yes. I remember this feeling like around the, the second one that we just had where it was less overwhelming being like, Oh my God, like, like there, like I, there's nothing that Jess will need that won't be met after the birth. Like she's going to have, and of course there are lots of things that needs that have been met. But I remember in that moment being like, just like, like, wow, like this, there's, there's, there's like, sh like, it's, it's like, I can't believe what I'm watching here. Mm. I can't believe this. Um, and what she's going through to create, to like bring, life to our family mm. um, yeah it's extraordinary mm. do you feel like you didn't have that moment uh with the first birth experience no no, no not at all not it's at a bit all. more like, duck in the water and a bit more sort of navigating the system and completely experience mm. yeah and to be fair on my like myself of four years ago that transition to the hospital is challenging like that that like moment where it's like okay we're going now it's like and i'm just thinking how the f is are we going to get up from here and get into a car now and drive to a hospital mm. and like yeah oh the drive hilarious just being like can you go slower it's like i'm going at like 10 kilometers an hour at 2 a.m it's like there is no way if i'm going slower it's like we aren't going to get to the hospital um, <laughs> yeah, so true. Like the, the whole thing was um it's just so many things yeah. happening and it's just, you can't, I felt like, I felt like I couldn't breathe in that process. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. You said something very early on in terms of the delayed experience. I don't know if that's what you said, um, but it, mm. there was like a delayed uh, knowing for you in that pregnancy birth journey where it's sort of, and I want to talk about that because it's, that is so relevant for all men that I have met on my journey which is now hundreds and 
everyone so this is where this is where I think the gap is in terms of talking about this more with men and helping supporting men in their experience because it's definitely not going to be the same as the woman so mm-hmm. it's not about making it the same or that men should be reading all the books or necessarily listening to all the podcasts I think men have a different experience and this is part of me also exploring what that is but what I want to really emphasize here is that men have a delayed uh, sort of cognition that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I want to normalize that because it can be really hard on the women. It can be really hard for us to, in some ways, do it alone within the relationship mm-hmm. because everything carries on. But pretty much from week seven, a woman is pretty affected by her hormones. Yeah. And she knows that the world is different inside of her. And so there the download starts very, very early on and it's this snowball. And that is very hard to translate to a partner or to anyone really. And so um, I just see that often being a friction point and sort of a, a bit of sadness and most definitely friction. So I just wanted to sort of say that because you articulated it so well that you didn't have much, mm-hmm. you know, that n- not much changed for ages. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. really relevant. That, that, that initiation um, for me, and I think you really like my, the second, and we can talk about the second, like this, this initiation has been so full on, but it's not being the initiation to becoming a parent. That happens the first time. Um, and I, I remember it hit me probably two months after the birth. That was the first moment it was like, I was like, I knew it was just chaos afterwards because you're trying to like change nappies and, oh my God, I need, the, I need to share this moment because I've, yes. I've asked with other dads about this. Um, the moment when you leave the hospital, if you have a, a hospital birth, which many people do, the moment after your first birth, when you leave the hospital and you've been there maybe for three days and like, you know, you've got all this support with like how to breastfeed and it's like, you're now like about to take a chop, like, and it's like, I, I, like, are you sure that we should be, are you sure we should be doing this? Like, it's like, I feel like there should be more like robust processes to make sure that we're going to leave now with this. So I just wanted to share that. But um, about, about like maybe two months after, um, I remember sitting on our living room couch um, in our dining room and just crying, like actually just bawling. Um, and it wasn't because of something in particular, like there might've been a trigger. Like I wanted to exercise. It was like, I just couldn't get out because it was like, just, it was, I felt too guilty to leave. And then if I left, I'd like feel maybe Jess is resentful that I'm going to exercise when she hasn't had a shower in three days. Um, and, and I just felt this grief around like, Oh, like I, I, that, that life is gone. That, that life is like utterly gone. And I actually wrote a poem um, that I've revisited a few times called Homeless in My Living Room because of this feeling of being displaced in my environment and feeling like I'm, okay, like I'm giving my heart and soul to Jess and she's giving her heart and soul to this baby and this this support mechanism is so fragile. Like we've just like me to her and her to the baby and that's kind of like we've got, and we, we like to, to be fair, like have, probably more village than almost anyone around us in an urban context. Um, yes. And it still felt like that kind of, wow. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, it, the initiation really happened. The, the birth itself is an initiation, of course, um, but 
for me, it, it happened in the aftermath. It happened in the weeks and months and the hundreds of moments where you realize, oh, I can't, I can't just plan a picnic tomorrow morning and then go on a picnic. Like that can't just happen anymore or I can't go on, we can't just go on a date. Um, all of those kind of moments and the moment, I'll always remember there was a midwife um, right at the end of our pregnancy. She wasn't even our primary midwife. This was the first birth through the hospital. Um, and she said to us, what are you guys doing tonight? At the end of our appointment, we're like, oh, we've got no plan. She was like, go, go, to, a, go to a movie, go have dinner in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and we did it. We did. Um, and, and just before we left, she said, oh, by the way, like I might not see you again. And we didn't. And I'm always grateful to her. Um, she said, you know, you're going to have some resentments build up um, in your relationship after the birth. And you need to know that that's normal. And oh. I, remember, I remember being like, <laughs> like you, don't, you don't know us. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> maybe for the average couple, but not for us. Um, and we, we did. We had all these kind of, um, and, and after a long time, we, when we realized there was like all these little resentments that were building up about like, oh, you didn't like clean the dishwasher and I hadn't done this. And like, oh, I, you said I could exercise and then I didn't. All the little like, normal stuff where just everyone's on their edge and it's like well actually it's just two people struggling and so the nature when you're suffering is to like is to say um how do you discharge that blame to someone else yeah um, we, we we went on a date and we did something that was really good we were like this is our first date i think we were like six months after we're like okay let, let's lay it on like let's just go and let's just like all your petty resentments just like <laughs> share them let's just do it and we laughed, like we actually laughed how ridiculous some of this stuff was. But um, and it was really healthy to do it because we still got to say it. Yes, <laughs> laugh great how, point. You know how ridiculous it was that we were feeling resentful because we knew it wasn't logical, but it was just like there. <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Maybe it should be scheduled in. I actually heard this advice just yesterday that uh, couples really should have a minimum of ninety minutes per week to uh, date, you could call it date or whatever, but really to connect and discuss all the affairs in the relationship, in the household, in the, with the kids, if there is kids and so on. Um, and ideally that should be double that. So 90 minutes twice, because otherwise it's all the unsaid conversations that builds up as little monsters. And that is just truth. It's, it's such a good idea to talk yeah. about things before they, uh, yeah, fester. Yeah, and, and as and as you're saying that, um, there's a, there's definitely a different maturity this time around. The second time, you would have that with four um, of knowing it's not forever, and like that mm-hmm. less of that burn. But I, I also, as you're saying, the twice a week for ninety minutes, I'm like, oh, like there's just no chat. Like we couldn't find yes. half an hour twice a week right now, um, and I'm I'm playing out. Well, what would that look like? in the mm-hmm. aftermath of a, of a second birth or a first birth. We probably found it more with the first one, mm. but it was so in the throes of the initiation that it was like Netflix. <laughs> like Netflix. <laughs> and like the trashiest stuff we could find, the better. Yeah. Uh, just to That's survive. part of the therapy, I think, too, yeah. though. And I think we also have to be realistic about which phase you would want to implement such uh, relationship connection and conversations because as you say you know now with two um well almost a newborn and um a toddler you can't really do 90 minutes especially not twice a week however uh I think it's 
it's good if there is some awareness and it's great to hear you say how, you know, it was laughable how, mm. how the petty, you know, things that we carried around, that you carried around and, and, and could share with each other, that they're going to be there regardless of how, how great your relationship is. There's always going to be something because it's a, an incredibly challenging time. So if maybe five minutes would do, maybe that's better than nothing. I don't know. Maybe yeah. just the awareness will, will be good. But it's, I think it's really helpful because um, it goes very much from zero to 100, I think, for, for men because there is that delayed um, experience because men do not go through the pregnancy, do not go through the labor process in the same way. And then boom, on the other side, like you um, very touchingly said, okay, there's yeah. a new dynamic in our relationship. And um, yeah, it's a very emotional mm -hmm. experience. And it can feel, I think, and this is, you know, and I draw, I'm obviously not a man, and I draw on a lot of um, things that men have shared with me and what I've seen is that, um, and what I've read is also that men can feel left out of that equation. You know, because it's very much the woman's demand with the baby and that interaction, especially if there's breastfeeding. But either way, that I call it the invisible umbilical cord. It's it's in, it's tight and strong for quite some time in the postpartum, and again, it's invisible, so it's not not you know graspable for men. I think so. It's it's so valuable to hear you say that. Mm. It's universal. Yeah. And I feel like um, it's 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 an, like the initiation is inevitable. Like you can't, you can actually, there is no way. It's one of those things that there's, there's no way um, around. You can only go through because because if you like, I, I'm coaching a dad, a dad like work professional related an executive coachee who um, is really. Um, uninvolved and he stayed at uh, kind of at arm's length, probably in a more traditional model. And that's really worked for them and their partnership. They've got a more traditional, but I, I think for most modern partnerships, um, that model won't work. And so if you if there's a resistance to the process of what's changing um, or just, okay, well, I'll just let her do it until like, well, then you're going to deal with the relationship fallout, you know? Yes. So it's like it's, it's the initiation has to happen. It's how like we're going to move from this room to the other room, and there's a passageway between it. And you can <laughs> you can stop and look at the pictures along the way, but you're you're going to have to end up at the other room at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, and that Jess and I had this chat um, a couple of days ago. We were like, oh my gosh, like we're, there's so much grief in this second initiation for us, and the perpetual like it just um, it's come, it feels like it's coming at us. We've had a like mm. I just want to be clear, like I think we're painting like a really rough picture. <laughs> It's like, it is the most extraordinary and it's the best thing in the world. Like it's mm. literally the best thing in the world I've ever experienced. And um, it's like my whole sense of what's important in the world has changed in the best kind of way. Um, and so I just want to make that, that clear. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that stuff everyone knows, hopefully everyone knows about. Yes, um, it's, yeah. the, it's the other stuff around, well, um, and that conversation we had was around, well, like as hard as it all is, we need to unravel. Like we can't, the, the, the old, the way we were as parents of one moving to becoming a family of four, um, that's an initiation again. So it's like we can't, we, the unraveling has to happen um, and a new garment, something else will be woven, but we can't, if we keep holding on to the old one, it's just going to be a lot of friction for us. Mm. Um, but that's hard, hey? Like I've struggled to let go of like the stability that we arrived at kind of, yeah. you know, six months ago and the feeling of like, 
wow, we're like really being good parents and like like actually to allow the fact that well, we, we won't be great parents always, mm-hmm. all of that stuff that comes with, yeah. 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 I think it's... Uh... I think it's a fact that every time you feel like, okay, we've got this, <laughs> something will happen in parenthood. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's really um, beautiful that you are sharing, you know, the, the hard bits of it too, which is really what I want to, because I think it's very easy to pretend that it's just sweet and glorious to have these beautiful little critters. And of course it is, but um I think there is a uh, a tendency to not talk about the pain, not talk about the feeling alone, not talk about being disconnected from your partner and all the other things. Obviously, we see that in men because there isn't even a protocol to talk to men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is no um, there is no funnel for a man. I mean, a woman goes through plenty of prenatal visits and then postnatally. One could argue that women could uh, deal with or have more postnatal care for sure, um, if they, especially if they're not doing a home birth or have a private midwife. Um, but there is no appointments for men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's zero. Wow. And so um, I guess I want to talk to you about uh, preparing for that. So in terms of you know, the birth education and all the, the appointments that women get. For you as a man, and obviously I know what you've received in terms of prenatal appointments with me. I know um, mm. you did some birth education and you can share what you did yes. and what you found helpful. But what are, the, what are the things that you could, if you could, you know, if you had a magic wand, what yes. do you think, was it enough what you got basically? And if it wasn't, what would you need? I know this is yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my, my feeling on the birth education front is, like, first of all, it's imperative. <laughs> this is going to sound really contradictory. And there's no way to prepare. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of like, it's almost like um, reading how to, like reading about about what it's like to swim is really interesting because you can hear about like, oh, water's going to be cold and it's going to like feel different and like you'll feel like different because your body's got different gravitational. It's like all that stuff's good. But then like you get into water and it's like, oh, this is the <laughs> visceral experience of it. So um, I think that's, that's the first thing. Mm. Um, I guess um, there's two ways I could think of that. And, and I think maybe best to start with the birth, the process of leading up to birth and the birth. Um, so there, there, are, there are a couple of things that we did. We did um, we did a course which I highly recommend to anyone listening called SheBirds, um, uh, run by a, a woman and her team, Nadine Richardson, and that was really useful um, on, on a number of fronts. Probably, um, first of all, we got to see births in the in the program. So it was like that experience I had in the hospital of this woman, which was my first yeah. experience of seeing a birth. <laughs> that was your first, yeah. Live. It was like, <laughs> so that, that, was, that was really useful because you got to, like, they, they share stories, birth stories and all of that. So I think that, that was really useful. Um, really useful to learn about the birth process as a man. I almost feel like that program and also the doula support, which I'll get to in a moment, like those things are, are probably at least as much for the man, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, the dual is probably more the family, I think the family system, but that, that birth education, I remember speaking to other dads-to-be at that program and being like, I think we all got more out of it than, than the partners did. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about 
the birth process, like what does pre-labor look like, what does active labor look like, what does transition, I think like, it's, it's you know, I'm all about being surrendered and like, you know, Jess is a meditation teacher and like, you know what? It's like the first time that you're seeing a birth. It's like, give your mind and your body some, some ways to hold on to some things. So not being able to just be like, okay, I think this is pre-labor because I remember seeing this and they told them like, it gives you, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind to know that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, I think, helped me to be a little bit more productive because there's all these tools around like what do you, like, how can you support and things you can practice in the lead up of tickles and like the reality is actually for Jess, she wanted that from you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say 90% of the time in our in our births um, and I don't know what it's like for other women. So it was still good for me to have that and for us to practice it in the lead up and for Jess to feel safe that I had her if she needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of those tools, there, there was one thing that I got from that birth education program and um, that was probably the most important piece of advice I got from the perspective of birthing through a hospital, which was you can always ask the question, what are your options? Mm-hmm. And um, we asked that question four or five times in that first birth and it helped us to make some really good decisions knowing that we had options um, and that we could just ask, even though we weren't the birth experts, we could still ask the question, what are our options here? When we're yeah. getting, kind of feels like almost getting shuffled around into different, oh, now we're going to go there and now you're going to have an episiotomy and all these things. It's like, well, hold on, like, can we slow down just a moment? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that was really useful. Um, I am obviously an, an extreme advocate for doula support. Um, and for the role that a doula plays well beyond just a safe birth. So I, I would say um, a, um, a midwife, obstetrician definitely, but midwives, the prime role is to make sure that the, the, the mother is safe and the baby are safe and that the baby is born safely. Um, and, and definitely that, I think that's reductive because a midwife also needs to make sure they care for the woman. But Primarily, my experience, my experience of it is to make sure that the birth process is safe. Um, my experience of having a doula is an element of recreating some of the village that we don't have in our culture around the family system because it is not just about physically surviving a birth, which 99 point whatever it is will. Yeah. It's actually about in what style do you survive, do you go through it, and to what extent can you thrive psychologically and emotionally after it. And so there is this sense of who is paying attention to the entire environment, who's paying attention to what the dad needs because he's having a meltdown right now because, um, you know, in our second birth, um, uh, Jess had, what was it called, vasovagal, like a, is that what it's called? Like that experience where she, where she fainted, which is kind of not extremely uncommon. It happens. No. Yeah. But, you know, I'm standing there and Indy's like kind of in the room, our daughter, and it's like it's pandemonium. And it's like, well, in that moment, having someone who is system focused, who's looking at the entire environment and paying attention to what needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, the room was too noisy after the birth mm-hmm. and you were the one that was intermediate, like the intermediary to be able to help communicate with the midwives and others say, can we bring the energy down? Like it's this feeling of like the safety of being held. Um, I don't know if that's your intent as a doula, but that's the experience that we had um, of, um, of having a doula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, two things. Well, one uh, first, uh, as a, my intent as a doula is uh, to reduce the chances of trauma 
and for the whole experience to be as wholesome for the couple, for the individual within that relationship on the other side. Um, and it can be an, an unfold in whatever way it needs to be, but both the, both, um, the, both couples, both partners has mm-hmm. to be uh, supported and respected and seen during the process. And that is that, you know, as a family that you were talking to there, it's, that is how is the room feeling? <clears throat> it's massage, it's coffees and teas, it's all of it, because it's the feeling during the whole process that kind of puts the puzzle together in the, in the aftermath. Yeah. The other thing you commented on, oh, that I just wanted to comment on your, because you've mentioned it twice, is um, how Jess was preferencing uh, the, my touch and support. And I, will, I, will, I just wanted to say for others also that that is nine out of 10 times what happens. And I think it's true that there is that feminine um, link to that knowing. Um, we, generally speaking, men are a lot stronger than women and just have a different feel to the body. So I think that's what plays into it. It's not a reflection on partners or, um, or how good you are at you know, caring for your partner. It's just, yeah. it's, a, it's the birth and, thing. And I guess extending on that, I, I definitely in the first birth felt like a little bit like inadequate around like, well, what, like I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not like a, just like a passenger and I, and I felt really included by you and by Jess, but it was like, it was just so clear that she needed, she needed your touch and she needed like the midwife support. Um, and I think, I guess I wanted to say that I, I imagine other men having that experience um, and to just know um, that that's really normal. And in the second birth, I didn't feel that at all. And mm-hmm. you were probably even more hands-on in the second birth. Mm-hmm. Um, the second birth, I just remember looking around the birth room and being like, there's our midwife quietly in the background, just keeping tabs on how things are tracking. And our second midwife, who actually happened to be our, the same midwife from our first birth, mm. both in the room and you sitting there holding her physically and me holding her kind of emotionally. And we're just like, wow, this is how, this is how modern birth should happen. This is how, this is how it could, you know, it could be for many. Like there's emotion, an emotional moment in the birth room. I remember looking around and being just like, wow, look at this. Like look at this support in this room. Um, so, yeah. and I wonder if that is um, because second time around, there is an element of you knowing that you don't have to time the contractions to the same extent. You don't have to find your, your role as that bobbing duck in the ocean. You know, you, you can actually just float next to your partner and uh, experience her and be more present perhaps, which I wonder if is it's harder to achieve first time around because it is quite a, an experience. <laughs> I was going to say it's shocking. It's yeah. quite an overwhelming experience um, when you are navigating everything and trying to call upon, if you've done birth um, education courses or whatever else you've learned, try and call upon that to be, be the partner and be the support man, you know, be the yeah. man for your partner. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think... It's it's healthy to hear that there can be that feeling of like where where do I click into that puzzle? Mm-hmm. Uh, because birth has been done with women forever and a day, and it has very much been midwives and support people in various shapes and forms, but usually feminine. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so I think I think I, I think the, my my like 
the recommended attitude that I take now from the two, from the second birth and the first one is kind of be there to whatever extent, like be, you can hold presence and just be a witness to the entire thing. And that's valuable in and of itself, you know, that's enough, but like to be available to whatever extent it's useful and to just be ready to be there as a physical support when needed, but not need to like intervene or be involved. You know, I, I remember in the second birth spending quite a lot of time setting up a camera because like we changed so the second we we're going to birth up here in our studio and like last minute just like i'm not leaving the bedroom it was like oh the pool's pretty <laughs> up there all right let's re- shuffle everything down and then like the camera was set up we'd set it up like two weeks before so you know and jess is so happy to have that recording now and that was, yeah. that was like you know that's in that moment the most useful way of spending some time is to say well what, what's going to serve the environment here yeah. yeah yeah so just quickly going back to so in terms of how could how could you have felt more prepared? Were you if were you sufficiently prepared? What could you imagine would look different for you as a man? You know, you know honestly, I actually think we we're as prepared as we could have been. Like we Beautiful. did, we did some proper birth education outside of the hospital. We had you as our doula in the in the lead up, and you like you need to know the like that process of having that of having that doula experience. Is you've got them the whole way through. It's so valuable. Um, so there's continuity of care the whole way through. Um, and yeah, I don't think I actually don't think there's a lot more. We did a little bit of reading, I think, but not like the end of the day. You just got to like like the rubber duck's going to be on the ocean. So that's like just chucking a book in the ocean doesn't change, doesn't change the waves. It's so true. Yeah. That is actually the biggest takeaway from this: is that rubber duck. I feel like yeah. you've just normalized that whole feeling by saying that. Perfect. Um, what was it like seeing your woman go through this journey? Yeah. Um, like, I think, I think really, really, um, extraordinary, um, extremely beautiful, extremely terrifying, um, at times, um, uh, I mean, just the, like, our our second pregnancy, just had a lot of ligament pain and that was really hard because it was like literally nothing I could do to help. Like, I I could get a hot bucket, like, really, so I think just, um, I, I maybe keep coming back to like there's such a relinquishing of control in all of this, um, and um, yeah, I think I think really confronting seeing the intensity of what a woman goes through in birth, um, and someone who wants to help and wants to kind of you know like to know that there's actually there's so much you can do, and the rest of it is just this initiation that's extraordinary, and and the, the, looking back at it, it's always like wow. So beautiful, but there are moments during the process that are just, just overwhelming. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a cocktail of everything. You know, in, in the space of a, just a birth, an experience like complete awe and inspiration, and then just terror and. Um, when you say Tara, you might have to go into that a little bit more for. The- well, well, okay. So, so I think just to, just to be really like I think so. Um, there's the moment of feeling overwhelmed because birth is overwhelming, but then there are those moments in birth where it's like, are we okay? Like, are we are we okay here? Like, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Because um, mm-hmm. I I don't know anything about the medical process of you know what's normal and not, and so I think that that process can be really overwhelming. Um, and I think we're still integrating. You know, it's kind of that experience of, um, and I'd love to speak to other dads about you know their birth experiences. Um, because, you know, someone, someone gave me um, a piece of advice before our second, our recent birth, 
um, uh, a mentor, he said to me, you know, do you have a person you can talk to afterwards? A friend who you're going to call up because not everything is going to be useful to debrief with your partner. Mm. Uh, and that was such valuable advice because I ended up calling on a good friend and he was the one which I, who I really, Jess and I have debriefed, but it's been so chaotic with India as well and having two, mm. it's kind of, um, that was really good advice. Like not everything should be, I'm also thinking about the resentments we're talking about, like not everything should be done in the relationship. You know, actually um, my, my biggest takeaway is what is the support system? What's the village around the family that can help ease the process of the transition post-birth? Because that for me is the, that at least as, the, as a man in the process has been the biggest initiation happens afterwards. So what does that support system look like? So a way, so, if we think of the sort of the birth education culture now, we've got the we've got the midwife appointments, we've got the birth different types of birth education courses. Perhaps if people hiring a doula, they're going to get some help there. Yes. Um, the modern man today, who is now invited into the birth space, expected to be fully hands on and emotionally invested and engaged and loving and supportive and know it all in the birth room, which is a lot to ask <laughs> of a partner. How does a modern man set up a support system for himself in the postpartum where he's most likely to go through that initiation and going through that realization um, yeah. that this has happened? What, what, would, what would you give advice for a dad who's about to be a dad? And yeah, yeah how does he, he support himself, um, himself in the postpartum? I think, um, I think so... Uh, my, my biggest piece is community, but I'll talk first of all to, um, I think getting like the bare, like getting your, your house in order, <laughs> so to speak, mm-hmm. like it sounds really rudimentary, but it's like your needs still matter in the postpartum. And the fact that your, your partner is now like breastfeeding, possibly breastfeeding around the clock, um, up through the night, um, you know, where you might not be up as much through the night. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't have needs. And so like mm-hmm. exercise, food, it's okay to need to spend some time from, with friends. From, like I, I, I just remember the first birth feeling so much guilt around any moment that was me taking something for me because it was like, well, Jess is doing such heavy lifting. It's just not, it's not fair to, it's not fair to want any of that. Yeah. Um, and yet still having needs, like I'm going to work and I'm like coming home and here's the baby. It's like it's still round the clock for me in a different way. Yes. Um, so I would say get like getting your house in order in terms of like, like how do you, how do you find ways to exercise really efficiently? Cause you don't have the hour to get out there. Um, how, how are you going to manage meals? Because you're going to have to probably do a lot more cooking. We, we had um, meal train set up. Um, which is an, um, you can do it through an app called Meal Train or we'll just do it in another way. But we had, for two months, we didn't cook lunch and dinner. And, and that's like, I mean, that's very unusual, but even just three weeks of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and if you don't have the community around you being willing to invest in kind of the, the de- meal delivery to get good nutritious food, like that stuff is so, so fundamental, I reckon, mm-hmm. to, to, to thriving postpartum. Um, but the piece that's often missing uh, for me, for men, is the emotional support. Um, and it, it doesn't need to, uh, we'll talk about dad tribe, this concept that I've, I've been playing with. Yes. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be you, a group of eight men that you're working with deeply on the experience of dadhood. It can be one really good friend 
who you can speak to about anything and who you know is there and you have that relationship with. Like it, it, it's trying to recreate the, the fact that we live in what is um, in some ways a villageless mm. environment and mm. saying, well, um, you know, I, I, I was totally at my edge a couple of days ago and, um, and it was just like oh, we're doing building work and it's too expensive. There's like the money side of it and then there's like our, son, our son's got gas, like not gastro, um, reflux and he's throwing up a lot and he's struggling to sleep and, oh, it's just so chaotic. And I just messaged him saying, mate, I need a chat. And mm. Jess is like, it's like an amazing moment of grace from her to be like, to take the evening, like go. And we went and had an ice bath together. We sat at the beach near Bondi and I just offloaded to him for 45 minutes and we went for a quick meal and I got home and it was like, okay, like I can do this. Um, exactly. And he's not, even, he's not even a dad. Like he, he's just a good friend mm. who is a listening ear, who knows me really well. I get emotional just talking about this. It's like, mm. like dads really need that, mm. really, really need that. And I, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a dad as I'm talking who I met with um, maybe a month ago um, because I, 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 someone I vaguely know and I just brushed past with him and he's become a dad for the second time. And I, I, I looked at him and I was like, wow, you are a pressure cooker that is about to blow. Like mm. this feeling of like you have so much pressure and so much undigested and unwitnessed experience of your dad, a dadhood. Um, and you can't expect your partner to be the person who's going to then hold space for you. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's, and you, you don't want it to be her. You know, you want, you need someone else who can hold space for you. Um, and I think I, I felt very lonely in my first initiation. I didn't have, I, I still don't have good mates who are dads around me. Like my best mates are not dads. Um, and so I'm now learning that it's okay to lean on men who aren't dads as well. Like just to lean on people who can lend an ear. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's so, um, so powerful to hear that. And, and I think the takeaway here is for the listener is, you know, set up, you, you almost have to kind of create your own uh, way because there isn't a platform for men. There mm-hmm. isn't a blueprint for fathers uh, as to, you know, this is how we do this. Often it's, let's go and wet the head and is that what it's called when you go and have beers in the pub after the birth or something? Is that what it's called? I have no idea, but that's, that's a great saying. That's what but, it's, yeah, I think it's called wet the baby's head or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people do it anymore, but I've heard it a few times. And, but that's the only thing I've heard, you know, and that is basically go to the pub and have a beer and I guess decompress what just happened. And I think it's meant to traditionally to be done right after birth. So like leave the hospital room the birth room and go to the pub. But when you think about it, because men ha- don't have that same transformational process over those nine, 10 months and during the birth, when the birth then happens, that's when men have the experience. Okay, here's mm-hmm. a baby. This is what we were doing. Oh, here it is. And then all the things that unfold in the weeks and months after that. But um, I can sort of see how they need a moment to just like step out and, yeah. and realize what happened. Yeah, yeah, completely. I wonder if that's where it comes from. But um, so in terms of preparing men in the modern world, I think it's so wise to reinforce that we don't have to do it as a couple to each other, with each other all the time. It's too much, Mm -hmm. it's too intense. 
but that men also need to, because this is what women do all the time for months and years after birth is, is talking, talking it through. Every little tiny bit gets talked over and over. Yeah. But men needs it too, by the sounds of it. And, and I, would, I would even go so far as to say it's unhealthy to put the weight on the relationship to do all of that talking. Like we, we probably over-indexed the first time around. Like in really beautiful ways, our first birth, we kind of made a recording as part of our like debrief, Jess and I we went for a long walk. Uh, India was asleep on Jess and we just recorded the birth and recounted it like play for play what happened. Like we did all this, the, 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 which you can do with the first and probably less after that. Um, so there's, and, and actually debriefing with you was phenomenal, both births. Like one of our appointments, I think in both cases, we spent two hours or whatever it was just going through the debrief. Yes. Um, so a mediated debrief, because you also have a, a different lens. It's like a 360 view. You've got the birthing woman, the partner, and then you, it's like, um, so that's, that's brilliant. But um, yeah, I think there's, there's a presence that, that um, and it's not to say that, um, that you can't have this with women as well, but there is a presence that you have when, and I found this from the men's work, that you feel when you sit in community or with another man that's different the way presence is held than it is with women. And so you can, to be able to sit in and be with that, that male or masculine, I should say, that masculine presence is really impactful. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so powerful. We, we, we really need to take it so serious in terms of, of making room for both partners uh, in the relationship. Uh, the roles are so incredibly different. Mm. And in terms of what you said before, you know, the guilt that you felt first time around for, you know, doing things that, you needed to do also which is work and uh exercising and and whatever other simple things that you had to do because in terms of you know the research is saying that it's almost one in four but uh, at least one in ten men experience postnatal depression mm -hmm. and the ripple effects within the household within the family onto the children or child uh you know it it affects their um cognitive development and so this is to say that um, it's really serious, that if we don't do something to address our mental health for the, for the woman and for the man in the postpartum, it's going to have con consequences mm -hmm. within the family and it really affects the children. So I often try and prepare in my little way, but I do think that it requires a masculine presence in terms of just, especially in the postpartum, to debrief perhaps for men. Um, and we can talk about dad tribe, um, which I think is going to be really important. Um, but if we don't plan for the individual within the relationship to have a little bit of space, it's not going to be much, but it's going to be, have to be a little bit so that you can actually be present with each other and not just kind of have a layer cake of stress. And like you said, you know, with your dad friend, a, a pressure cooker mm. of just, a lot that happens in, in, we have to have a bit of a plan. There has to be a little bit of leeway because uh, not doing so, not ma managing our mental health, yes. our physical health, not eating right, all the different, you know, sleeping is a challenge on it, in its own. Yes. But if we don't do a little bit all the time, you can be 100% certain that it's going to affect your family and your children in a negative way. And that's yeah. really serious. So. Yeah. It's, it's crucial that we stop ignoring that men have needs in this postpartum phase. And it looks, it looks different to the women's. It's a different mm -hmm. journey. Um, and so it should be because mm -hmm. we are so incredibly different. 
Mm. Um, so I, I have loved hearing your realizations and your experience and experiences. And I hope that, I hope that it can open some doors for other families and men in terms of just maybe exploring some ways they can set up a support friend, a support network, something mm-hmm. where they know their triggers are. What are their tendencies for anxiety, stress? Do they have a history of mm-hmm. depression or anxiety or whatever else? Yeah. Um, it's and a I'll, rabbit hole, that one. And I'll say, like, I, 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 um, like I, I, I was a pretty anxious kid, but I haven't had, like, a, a, like a diagnosed history of anything. I, I feel like uh, I want to really normalize that. Like, I, I haven't, and the experience of becoming a dad and the aftermath, not just the first three months, like the, 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 the years, there are moments that you will inevitably feel like I am empty, I have nothing, I, I've, I'm literally on the edge of what I think is possible. Um, and chances are you'll still get up the next day and go to work. It's like in that state, you know, it's like, which is such an act of devotion, but you need yeah. to have a place you can go to in those moments. Like you need, you need, the, you need to know that they will come and it's normal and, and where do you go? Um, mm when that happens mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah you don't you don't have to be okay with all of it it's yeah. really okay to not be okay and our partners don't have to hold it all for us mm-hmm. um tony let's uh let's hear a little bit about dad tribe and then mm-hmm. i will let you go and do your life yeah <laughs> sounds good um i've loved this by the way i feel like it's such important work that you're doing um yeah, yeah, really powerful work. Um, so, Dad Tribe is actually just an extension on Man Tribe. Um, so, it's really kind of a it's it's a it's a it's a Man Tribe father edition at this stage. Yes. Um, but I've just I've just started to um, to think about you know there is so much that men share um, in our programs that are unwitnessed and unshared, and that is doubly so for the process of being a father. Um, and it is so. It is so, there's so much shared territory. So, um, you know, the, the impetus for it has been, have been men actually starting to say, ask the question, do you do, you do anything for dads? Um, and there are kind of enough men asking that. And I just feel so passionate as a dad, the dad, dads need more support. Mm. Um, all of the things we go through from how do you navigate intimacy and sexuality um, in a postpartum and in the years that follow how do you um, how do you navigate the responsibility of possibly being the prime earner for a while, or being you know, for a lot of dads they feel responsible for that for their households? Um, you know, just the rawness of of actually the emotion like it's hard, quite heart opening. A lot of dads I've spoken to and work with like said they actually find themselves more emotional after becoming a dad. There is something that shifts within you, um, and um, how do you navigate? So there's so much and, and so much navigated in isolation. Mm. So the, the excitement is this opportunity to bring dads together and say, to go through an equivalent kind of experience, a three month program with other dads um, where they work really intimately to, to witness one another's journeys, but then also, you know, to help support the initiation that's happening. Um, and that initiation happens, I imagine, conti- like over decades as you become different stages, but really I'm thinking in the first five to 10 years, that process of, um, of actually becoming initiated into someone who might experience emotion differently, into someone who might be responsible um, for a family in a different way. Um, 
for someone who maybe has to let go a bit of the narcissistic tendencies that every human has because now it's not all about you anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's all this stuff um, that that men should be men should be exploring together with other men. And the exciting part for me is what happens afterwards because I feel like um, to have dads, have other dads that they're deeply connected to, to be able to do play dates and to like to actually have the the family relationships that can emerge. That's um, we need we need like generative community building some of the stuff that you do mm. um, work. We need more of that. People yeah. can feel connected and especially post COVID can feel like there's a a sense of intimacy with community. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. That sounds amazing. And that is that. So any, a, a man could join that at any stage of his fatherhood journey. Yeah. Or would he, would it definitely be postpartum in that? So I would say have to be, have to be a dad. So have to, yeah. have to, um, have to have had the birth at least the day before the program starts. <laughs> that is <laughs> um, the requirement. That's the requirement. And, um, and you know, I, I imagine a dad of, um, you know, I've had work on the men's program with dads that have kids in their twenties. Like I think, I think a dad, uh, the intent is that it's probably in the first, I'd say five to 10 years, likely the first five, five to seven years, because I feel like the, there is value in having men who are transitioning into that, like that process of actually stepping into fatherhood genuinely, which, which doesn't happen in a week, a month, or even a year mm-hmm. um, going on the journey together and also inspiring each other around what great, what, what's the gold standard of dad, you know, dad yeah. being a dad um, and um, holding one another accountable to, to great dadding. And part of that's accountable to look after themselves when they're not doing that and yeah. be responsible to look after themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Great dadding. It's time for great dadding. I love it. Yeah. Um, yes, that is, uh, it, we need a new gold standard. And um, as we said in the very beginning, this is a whole new it's a newfound way that we're doing mm-hmm. now with, with fathers in the birth rooms and so on. And um, so this is exactly where it's, it needs to go in terms of that community and, and doing it the man way. It's such an illusion that fathers can just carry on and go to work and not have any feelings whatsoever. That mm-hmm. is totally ridiculous. And it's not working for anyone. I wanted to mention this earlier that men have a, phys- a hormonal change during pregnancy mm-hmm. So although we've been saying that there isn't much of a change for men, hormonally, there is an actual change. And so mm-hmm. men's mood and hormonal uh, chemistry is changing very early on in the pregnancy. Um, so that means that moods and responses, masculinity, it's changing and it's in, in what it feels like inside the man. And if that is not talked about, then that can feel really unsettling. But mm-hmm. I will leave that for another um, conversation or another podcast that's a big conversation yeah it's a big one yeah but it's it ties in really nicely there that that's so relevant and beautiful Mm. to hear that they're experiencing it Mm. tony thank you so much for your time and for doing this i mean this is going to be groundbreaking work because Mm. it's a it's a whole new beginning to supporting men supporting men in during the transition into fatherhood uh, starting conversations holding space for them normalizing it um i'm really really grateful as a woman and as a mother to know that this is changing um because it has to so um, i take my hat off to your no, work and, and you let's as a father let's, huh? do this again. let's do this again sometime I would love that. I think there is so much more to be talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about that, like Ramadaki 2.0. 
Let's do that. Let's do that. What, what happens when the rubber duck goes like moves off the ocean onto the river? <laughs> what happens then? <laughs> How about we all get some sleep first and then we yeah. touch base? That's good. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Thank you so much for your time, Tony. And um I will link all your details in how people can find you and join your programs um, so that everyone can benefit from your, from your holding space and your wisdom and your support. Phenomenal. Thanks Thank so you. Much. So much love. We'll speak soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, anamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mums via a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.